Good evening, everybody. I'm Father Charlie Gordon, and along with uh, Dr. Karen Eifler, uh, I direct the uh, Garifuntas Center for Catholic Intellectual Life and American Culture, and we are your hosts um, this evening. It's wonderful to have you with us. A um, few uh, housekeeping things that need to be said. Uh, one is if you are a K through 12 teacher of any description and you would like uh, free PDUs, uh, professional development units. She is. There you are. <laughs> Lovely. For, for attending this event, uh, we have a, a sheet that you can sign afterwards. I think it's uh, in the back. In the back, okay. and uh, <laughs> simply sign that sheet and give us an address, and we'll and we'll get those and we'll get those out to you. Uh, another point is that uh, if you're here as a student and you'd like your professor to know about it, we also have uh, sheets for you to sign. Those are way out there in the corridor, uh, so you can sign those uh, afterward. Um, also in the back, we have our usual fabulous Garaventa Center refreshments, and we hope that uh, you'll uh, partake of those. If there's anything left at the end, feel free to take it with you. Uh, and and also in the back is is Aaron sitting behind the table with uh, some of the books uh, that our speaker this evening uh, has written on the topic of our discussion. So. Uh, if you would like to uh, purchase uh, one of those books, uh, he would be delighted to, uh, to sign it for you uh, at, the, at the end of the evening. Okay, that seems like uh, most of our housekeeping. Um, so uh, let's, let's turn to this evening's uh, presentation. Our Andrew Chestnut holds the Bishop Walter F. Sullivan Chair in Catholic Studies and is Professor of Religious Studies at Virginia Commonwealth University. He is a specialist in Latin American religion. Among his many academic publications is the book most relevant to us this evening, Devoted to Death, Santa Muerte, the Skeleton Saint, from Oxford University Press which is the first and only academic study in English of the fastest growing new religious movement in the Americas. Uh, and while he's spoken on this topic often, uh, this evening he's giving his first talk on the subject at a Catholic university, so we're delighted about that. This is the Garaventa Center, keeping everybody on the cutting edge. <laughs> as part of what we do. Um, Dr. Chestnut is here this evening with his wife, Fabiola, who's going to be, it's going to be kind of kind of like at a, at a rock concert where you have somebody working the board. Yeah, right. She's be working the board this evening. It's wonderful to have you here as well. And I know that uh, Portland is is uh, kind of special to you both, so it's, it's great to be the occasion of, of your visit. So please, uh, let's welcome Professor Andrew Chestnut. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back here. We were here 12 years ago when I was here for an academic conference, but more importantly than that, I asked this lovely Mexican woman, Fabiola, to marry me in Portland 12 years ago. We have not been back since, 
And so it's just wonderful to be here under the circumstances. Again, speaking, I've been speaking on this topic since the book came out five years ago at universities across the globe. And it's a special pleasure that, as um, the father pointed out, this is the first time that I speak at a Catholic university. So my deepest heartfelt gratitude to the Garaventa Center and its co-directors, Father Charlie Gordon and Dr. Karen Eifler, who unfortunately couldn't make it tonight, uh, as well as program assistant Sarah Nuxel. Are you here, Sarah? No, she's not here this okay. evening. So, um, I've been researching this topic for nine years now. Um, the book, The Blooded to Death, came out five years ago, and um, it is now the fastest growing new religious movement, not only in Mexico, but in the entire Americas, from Canada to Argentina. There is no rival uh, new religious movement in terms of speed and size of growth. We don't have any systematic survey of devotees, but after a decade of research, my best guesstimate is that we're looking at between 10 to 12 million devotees. And her cult only goes public in 2001. So we're talking about 10 to 12 million devotees in the space of only 15 years. The great majority of them are concentrated in Mexico. Perhaps some 70% are, are in Mexico. Um, another 10 to 15% here in the United States. She's here in Portland. In fact, those first slides I was showing were taken today at a local botanica that sells religious paraphernalia of Santa Muerte called Botanica Brillante. She's got devotees in Portland. And not only Mexican immigrant, also white American devotees as well as the Botanica owner filled me in. And then the other important concentration of devotees in the Americas would be in Central America. We were talking uh, over dinner, over a fantastic pizza at the firehouse about Guatemala. She has a robust presence in Guatemala, also in El Salvador and Honduras. But before I go on uh, too long, um, a really essential aspect of her devotion is the visual imagery. You just cannot understand who Saint Death is. You can either translate her into English as Saint Death or Holy Death. I prefer Saint Death. I'll tell you why later. You cannot really understand it without taking a look at her iconography. So last year, at my home institution of Virginia Commonwealth University, a whole continent away, and you should be impressed about how lucid I am, given that I flew across the entire USA last night and I'm jet lagging for three hours. Um, so uh, last year I cut a short documentary at my university and I think it does a pretty good job of giving you a kind of introductory sample and especially some of the great images out of Mexico of who Santa Marta is. So let me run this five minute documentary and then I'll go into the hows, the whos, and the whys of this the fastest growing devotion in our Western Hemisphere. DJ? Uh, are we gonna cut the lights? Or yeah, can the lights be cut or dimmed or? We still to leave this with it. I don't know. Alright, so this is available on the first floor. I don't know. Where did the cabinets go? I don't know, but you came too late for that. Why don't you just go ahead though and start? Okay. 
Professor Andrew Chestnut, and uh, I'm Professor of Religious Studies here at Virginia Commonwealth University. I uh, have three books, and my latest book is on the subject of today's topic, which is Santa Muerte, or Saint Death in English. Santa Muerte's growth has been so astronomical that devotion to her is the fastest growing religious movement, not only in Mexico, not only in North America, but in the entire Americas. From Argentina to Canada, there is no new religious movement growing faster than Santa Muerte. She is a female folk saint that personifies death. Latin America, and Mexico in particular, are very rich in the series of saints who are not canonized Catholic saints, but they're holy figures. And so Latin America is kind of unique in the world that it has scores of these folk saints who people pray to, people petition to miracles for, um, but have not been accepted, and in the case of Santa Muerte, actually have been outright condemned by the Catholic Church. If you look at the iconography of Santa Muerte, we're basically looking at a female version of the European Grim Reaper. In fact, in my book, Devoted to Death, I refer to her often as the Grim Reapers. The Grim Reaper itself was a European invention going back to the Black Plague of the 14th century when death was first kind of personified by Europeans because death really became so intimate as an estimated one-third of, of Europeans went to an early grave. So Santa Muerte and the two other skeletal saints, the Argentine one, who's known as Santa Muerte, and the Guatemalan one, who's called Re Pascual, really are the result of what we call in, in religious studies syncretism, or a fusion of the European Grim Reaper with pre-Columbian indigenous beliefs in certain death deities. And so Santa Muerte stands alone as the sole female saint of death in the Americas, if not in the entire world. And so in the Mexican context, it's really interesting that she's female too, because the other great giant of the Mexican religious landscape, of course, is the Virgin of Guadalupe, the most important manifestation of the Virgin Mary in the entire world in terms of, of coverage and number of devotees. In fact, in Mexico, they say Mexicans are 90% Catholic, but 100% Guadalupanos. Her female identity is really interesting too because it's, it's, not, it's not a uniform identity. She has a reputation on the one hand for being a, a badass. I mean, you look at her iconography and some of her images are really menacing. At the same time, she's also a surprisingly tender maternal figure. I've heard lots of women devotees talk about how Santa Muerte is like a mother to them. And so I find that gender aspect of her very intriguing as something that I'd like to explore even further uh, in the sequel to Devoted to Death that I'm currently working on.
All right, so, so let's take a look at the essentials of, of this folk stage of death, the what, the where, the when, the how, the why. Um, so, again, I think she's best classified as, as a folk saint. Um, you might find it odd that in Latin America, the most Catholic region on earth, 40%, anybody know how many Catholics there are in the world? More or less? Ballpark guess? 1.3 exactly. billion Catholics on earth. Some 40% of those live in Latin America. The two countries with the largest Catholic population in the world are both Latin American. Brazil, by far, home to the largest Catholic population. And my wife, Fabiola, is Mexico. I'm Professor is. Andrew Chestnut. <laughs> Stop it. Um, I think. You know, yeah. <laughs> right. And Mexico, number two. And, and yet, for some reason, despite the fact that the Catholic Church offers thousands of saints, for some reason, those canonized saints weren't sufficient for Latin American Catholics. So they go and they create these homegrown folk saints. There are scores of these folk saints from Mexico down to Argentina. Some of them will flash on the screen here. In addition to Santa Muerte, there is the original narco saint who is associated with one particular cartel, and I believe my historian friend, remind me of your name? Uh, Dr. Woodard. Dr. Woodard. Knows who the original Mexican narco saint is? Uh, no. <laughs> I would go second you did it. You did it. Oh, uh, yeah, no, um, Jesus Malverde. Oh, yeah. who's the folk saint associated with the notorious Sinaloa cartel. Um, and this is the Botanica today here in Richmond. It's called Botanica Brillante. And I actually invited the owner, but is the owner here? No, okay. Um, Associated with the Sinaloa cartel of the infamous number one narco who's now sitting pretty in a prison in New York, and that would be in Chapo Guzman, right? Um, as I pointed out in the video, there's an Argentine saint of death who's a male, not female figure called San Muerte. Anyway, there's scores of them. Why on earth would, in many cases, some of these folk saints be more popular than Catholic canonized saints in the most Catholic region on earth. Why? What's, what, what's the issue here? Why were the thousands of canonized saints not sufficient for Catholic Latin Americans? They weren't Mexican. Good, good. What's your name? You got it, Mary. They weren't Mexican, they weren't Argentine, they weren't Guatemalan, because the great majority of Catholic saints were what, from what region? European, and they lived when? Centuries ago. Right. So, dead Europeans who lived centuries ago don't necessarily resonate with 21st century Latin American Catholics. So, in this kind of vacuum, our void of a lack of correspondence to Latin Americans arise these folk saints. The great majority of whom were real Latin American men and women who were born and died often premature, violent deaths on Mexican, Guatemalan, Argentine soil. And then within a couple of years of their deaths, often murders, 
develop reputations for being miracle workers. And either at the site of their murder or at their grave site, pilgrims will come to ask them for miracles. And so that's who folk saints are in Latin America. Santa Muerte is not only one of them. Today is, she is the most popular one of them. But she differs in a very important way from the rest of these folk saints in Latin America in that at this point in the development of her devotion, she cannot, she cannot be tied to any particular deceased Mexican woman. Rather, devotees see her as personifying, as representing death itself. And I would argue that's also one of the reasons for her popularity, because she is seen as standing in representing death itself, that gives her a power, a potency that rival Latin American folk saints and Catholic saints do not enjoy. She's a syncretic figure. What I mean by syncretism? I alluded to it in the video. Well, what happens is that when the Spanish come over to conquer and colonize our Americas from, from Texas and California down all the way to Argentina. Of course, the Catholic Church comes along with the Spanish, and they bring over the figure of the Grim Reaper, or more specifically, I should say, the figure of the Grim Reapers. Because in Mediterranean Europe, in Spain, in Italy, Portugal, more often than not, it was a female Grim Reaper. Why does the Catholic Church bring over the figure of the Grim Reapers to our Americas? Why on earth are they wanting to show this death figure to the indigenous people? Memento Mori. I'm Professor Andrew Chestnut, <laughs> and I know who you are. Um, <laughs> Memento Mori, what, what, why do you say that? Well, it's, it, I think it's in a lot of the... Lot of the uh, I'm thinking of a lot of painting on, uh, you know, artistry investments. Art, uh, thinking about the you, dead. You might want to tell our undergraduates what that phrase means. Memento mori means remember death. Remember death. So exactly. I mean, it's 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 to remember that you're going to die in the vanity of life. Exactly. Good. Yeah. And so Europeans made all kinds of creations of memento mori yeah. to remind themselves of the mortality. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So that that's part of it. And of course the. The Europeans who come to our Americas have no idea who the indigenous people are, right? They're not in the Bible. Who are they? What do they believe? Do they have any religious beliefs? And so they bring over the figure of the Grim Reapers. It turns out that many of the indigenous groups, particularly the more sophisticated one, have their own very well-developed religious systems, and several of them include death deities such as the Aztecs and the Mayans, have death deities. And so there's no doubt that the indigenous groups in some parts of central Mexico, for example, Guatemala, Argentina, and Paraguay, view the Spanish Grim Reapers through their own religious cultural lens and turn this figure, this personification of death, which for Europeans was not a supernatural figure. This was a mere artistic representation of death 
as I said in the video, that arises during the Black Plague when an estimated one-third of Europeans perished because of the bubonic plague, which, believe it or not, still exists in places like New Mexico. Once in a while you hear people dying of, of the plague uh, in New Mexico. So they turned what was a mere artistic representation of death into this supernatural, holy, miracle-working figure called La Santa Muerte. And so here is the syncretism at play. The pre-existing belief in death deities that already exist among the indigenous people, and then the Spanish Catholic Church bringing over the figure of the Grim Reapers. And that is the syncretic birth of this folk saint that we call Santa Muerte, who is first mentioned in Mexican history in the 1790s. 1790s is, has Mexico achieved independence yet in the 1790s? I know you're all students of Latin American history. No, but almost, right? It's only about 20, 20 years out. So this is the very end of the long Spanish colonial world in the 1790s. What happens here? On two occasions, first in 1793, and then again in 1797, Spanish inquisitors are called out from Mexico City to investigate reports that Indians in the two present-day states of Guanajuato, who's been to Guanajuato? Beautiful, isn't it? In fact, I think the, the state capital is probably the prettiest city, no offense to Morelia, the prettiest city in Mexico. Put Guanajuato on your bucket list if you ever go to Mexico. And the other state is the central state of Querétaro. So in, in, in 1793, and then again 1797, Spanish inquisitors go out upon rumors that the Indians there are worshiping a skeletal effigy that they're actually calling Santa Muerte, and apparently asking the skeletal effigy for, for favors, for miracles. In both cases, the rumors turned out to be true, and so the inquisitors smash the skeletal idol destroy the little temple that the indigenous people had built around it, and Santa Muerte goes off the historical grid in 1797 for a whole century and a half. Certainly she's there doing things, working miracles, but she's off the historical grid. We don't know anything about her after 1797, all the way until she reemerges in the 1940s. How did she reemerge in the 1940s? American anthropologists doing field work down in Mexico start to discover her uh, in the 1950s. We also get some Mexican anthropologists joining them as well. And so from the 1940s to the 1980s, for this approximate four-decade period, our anthropologist friends report Santa Muerte by the 1980s, um, in all parts of the Mexican Republic, from the southernmost state and the poorest state of Chiapas to the border with Texas. Give me a border town. We're just talking about Ciudad Juarez. Laredo. Nuevo Laredo. Also Laredo. Ciudad Juarez, which for a while was called Baghdad on the border because the narco violence was just so bad, heads rolling and everything. So for this four-decade period from the 1940s to 1980s, our American-Mexican anthropologists report Santa Muerte throughout the Mexican Republic, 
and they report her performing one type of miracle. She's a, a one miracle worker uh, death saint at this point. Anybody know what type of miracle that she's working? Almost exclusively for Mexican women dressed in black, asking her to? Exactly. What what do husbands do sometimes that's not so good? Right, right. Sometimes husbands and boyfriends, of course, we can't be sexist here, right? It goes both ways. But in this case, they are exclusively praying to Santa Muerte as part of love magic. Asking Santa Muerte to go after their errant husbands or boyfriends who they believe to be cheating upon them. And what are they asking Santa Muerte with her big side to do? Two things, or three things. Kill him. <laughs> You're up next on the prayer here. Uh, a, use that side against the other woman. Cut down the other woman in my husband or boyfriend's path. B, use that side to prod or poke the errant man, the badly behaving man, to come back humbled at your knees, asking for forgiveness for his sins. And if not, to use that side to dispatch with him. And so from the 1940s to the 1980s, as bizarre as it might seem, the only type of act, supernatural activity that we know that Santa Muerte engaged is engaged in is in love sorcery. And even today, she has this whole, whole series of colored votive candles, some of which you've seen up here. Even today, her most popular colored candle in Mexico is the red candle, the crimson candle, not of blood and violence, it could be, but of love and passion. And indeed, the oldest known prayer to Saint Death, which is stamped on the back of tens of thousands of votive candles, even the poorest, most humble devotees will have a votive candle because they're the cheapest paraphernalia, which in Mexico you can buy a candle for a dollar, a dollar fifty. Here they, they were going for what, five dollars or five fifty, which was kind of on the marks, but I guess Portland is like outrageously overpriced. <laughs> um, uh, right, so her number one candle is the red candle of love and passion. And so, um, so let me, ¿cuántos aquí hablan español? Okay, some of you know Spanish, right? So, um, since we have a real Mexican here, which is, uh, who is from, from the state where I did lots of my research, and it is the avocado capital of the world, the state of Michoacán, 90% of Mexico's crop is grown in her home state of Michoacán, so you can imagine her guacamole is like <laughs> off the charts. But anyway, I'm gonna ask Fabiola, to read in her native language the oldest known prayer to Santa Muerte, and then, not to be sexist, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask for a female volunteer who speaks at least um, pretty good English to read the equivalent in English as well. And so, what you need to do, you're supposed to insert the name of the person who you would like to be uh, humbled at your feet. 
And so in this case, she's going to put my name in. And so I'll ask my volunteer to think of some, um, hopefully male, I guess it doesn't have to be, but hopefully male um, name that you'd like to insert there. So here you go. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Jesucristo vencedor, que en la cruz fuiste vencido. Vence a Andrés, de la, uh, que esté vencido conmigo, eh, con el nombre del Señor. Si eres animal feroz, manso como un cordero, manso como la flor de romero, tienes que venir. Pan comiste y de él me diste. Y por la palabra más fuerte que me diste, quiero que me traigas a Andrew, que esté humillado, rendido a mis plantas, a cumplir lo que me ha ofrecido. Santísima Muerte, yo te suplico encarecidamente que así como te formó Dios inmortal con tu grande poder sobre todos los mortales hasta ponerlos en la esfera celeste donde gozaremos de un glorioso día sin noche y por toda la eternidad y en el nombre del Padre, del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo yo te suplico te digne ser mi protectora y me concedas todos los favores que yo te pido hasta el último día, hora y momento en que su divina majestad ordene llevarme ante su presencia. Amén. Muy bien, gracias. Can I have a volunteer, a female volunteer, to read the English translation? Any takers? Don't make me do it. Anyone? Okay. Thank you so much. Jesus Christ, the victor who was conquered on the cross, conquered Seth so that he, or so that she be conquered with me in the name of God. Uh, if you are a ferocious animal, you must come to me as a gentle lamb, as mild as the rosemary flower. You ate bread and gave me of it. You also drank water and gave me of it. By the strongest word you spoke to me, I want you to bring me set, humbled at my feet. And come because I call you, I dominate you. Tranquility will not be yours until you come to my side. Just as I pierce this candle with the needle, I want thoughts of me to pierce your heart so that you forget about the man that you have and come to me before I am calling you. What's your name? Mary. Mary. There's the candles there, the different color. So, so something changes in the 1980s when Santa Muerte starts to become associated with organized crime syndicates in Mexico. When the narco trade really starts to take off in the 1980s, particularly as Mexico becomes a major transshipment point for cocaine coming up from what country? Colombia, of course, right. This happens in the 1980s. And so there starts to become a certain association with some of the Mexican crime syndicates and Santa Muerte. And, and for the first time in the late 1980s and the early 1990s, we get uh, notorious kidnappers and narcotraficantes, uh, drug traffickers, um, arrested. And in their safe houses, they find... Santa Muerte altars. And so from this period of the late 80s to the early 90s to the present, the uh, image of Santa Muerte as a so-called narco saint 
um, protecting and doing dirty deeds for narco-cartel members almost completely dominates media, popular media reports of Santa Muerte on both sides of the border. My book um, has helped improve the situation in the last couple years. There is now more nuanced reporting, but until the last couple years, almost 90% of the media reports has been on Santa Muerte, the narco saint. And admittedly, the whole reason why I delved into research on Santa Muerte in 2009 was because in March of 2009, I've been going to Mexico since the early 1980s. So I was aware of Santa Muerte. <clears throat> in fact, I just happened to buy the first Santa Muerte magazine. There's a monthly magazine you can buy in Mexico. I just happened by chance to purchase the first issue that came out in 2005. So by then I was aware of who she was, but I really didn't know much of her. I wasn't so interested in the topic at the point. But then in the context, I was two years into a book project on the Virgin Guadalupe and just wasn't feeling the same passion for my research that I had for my previous book projects. And in this context of research malaise on Guadalupe, which is a fine project and a really important project, but as you might imagine, since Virgin Guadalupe is the most important manifestation of the Virgin Mary in the world, there's lots of books written on her. And maybe that's why I was feeling research malaise. Anyway, in this context, in March 2009, I'm on my laptop, and I see the news that the Mexican army goes in with bulldozers and backhoes and demolishes some 40 Santa Muerte shrines on the Texas-Mexico and California-Mexico border. I'm like, whoa, the Mexican army, why, why are they destroying this folk saying, what, I mean, what did she do, what happened? And so I did a Google search, and it quickly became apparent that the then presidential administration of Mexican President Felipe Calderón, who is from her home state of Michoacán, and launched the drug war, or ramped up the drug war in, in 2006, shortly after he was elected, basically declared Santa Muerte to be religious enemy number one of the Mexican government in its new ramped up war against the drug cartels, or at least some of the drug cartels, because it appears that his administration was basically siding with the most powerful of them all, Chapo Guzman Sinaloa cartel. But anyway, um, the party that he was part of, the PAN party, the National Action Party, has always been close to the Catholic Church. And of course, at this point, the Catholic Church was pretty upset by rapid growth of Santa Muerte, particularly because most Mexican devotees will tell you they're Catholic. If you talk to them and delve further, it turns out that they probably haven't been to Mass for five years. And like most Mexicans are kind of nominal or cultural Catholics who really don't go to Mass and participate in any meaningful way in church life. And so this is a real problem for the Catholic Church in that now millions of Mexican Catholics call themselves Santa Muerte devotees. Why is it a problem? Why would the Catholic Church have a problem with parishioners venerating a death saint? What's the problem here? Did you want to say something? Idolatry. Idolatry, okay. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be worshiping idols. Okay, good. 
Any other? Takes the focus off of Jesus. What's that? Takes the focus off of Jesus. <clears throat> okay. Right? I mean, maybe in almost a antithetical way, right? Because as Christians, Jesus offers us eternal life by his ultimate sacrifice on the cross, right? And if it conquers death, right? And if if you are venerating or worship worshiping a figure of death, that's kind of the antithesis of what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian, right? And so a lot of Catholic bishops and priests who've spoken out on this have said that devotees who do this are unwittingly engaging in Satanism. And so um, for the past seven years, I would, and this is not an exaggeration, I would say that the Catholic Church in Mexico, and keep in mind this is the second largest Catholic population on earth, still about 81% of Mexicans are Catholic, is almost in a state of panic about Santa Muerte. Prior to Santa Muerte bursting on the scene in 2001, the church in Mexico was kind of in a state of panic over evangelical Protestant growth, but in the past five years, concern about Santa Muerte has definitely eclipsed concern about evangelical, or more specifically, Pentecostal growth. Um, what happens, in, so up until 2001, we've got women in black asking Santa Muerte to punish the husbands, we've got some of the narcos who are devotees, but it definitely is the object of occult devotion. So much so that her parents, my parents-in-law, who are 86 years old, have lived their entire lives in the western state of Michoacan. When I started my research, had never even heard of Santa Muerte and only find out who Santa Muerte is through their gringo son-in-law's research. <laughs> and so they've even been to some of my research sites in Michoacan. But to tell you, 99 you didn't know who Santa Muerte is until my research either, did you? I, I mean, unbelievable, right? Mm -hmm. Today, you couldn't find a single Mexican who has not heard of Santa Muerte. What changes in 2001? In 2001, her occult devotion transforms into the very public devotion that it is today. What changes in 2001? A humble quesadilla vendor. When I give this talk in Europe, I have to explain what quesadillas are. <laughs> you know, there's cheese griddles. Anyway, um, a humble quesadilla vendor in the most notorious barrio, another dinner conversation topic we had. You've been there? Did you Did you go to the Santa Muerte Shrine? No? Too afraid? Too afraid. I knew it. <laughs> Next time I'll take you down there. So, a humble quesadilla vendor in Mexico. Who else, who else has been to Mexico City? That's another bucket list place. It is the most interesting big city in Latin America, hands down, and some really good eating as well. The most notorious barrio in Mexico City is called Tepito. And it's famous, I go there all the time, because it's also famous for its, um, for its knockoff um, products and... and uh, Five minutes. I'm a death watch here. If I'm, uh, it's also famous for buying um, knockoff, knockoff um, Gucci bags, knockoff anything you want to buy, pirated videos, all that. And so, 
This humble quesadilla vendor by the name of Enrique de Romero, actually not as Doña Queta, had been a longtime devotee going back to the 1950s. One of her sons was in prison for an unspeakable crime, and I say unspeakable because she'll never tell me what the crime was that he committed. He was a Santa Maria devotee as well, and upon early release from prison, he gifted his mom a life-size, a human-size Santa Muerte statue, which she put in the back of her quesadilla kitchen. And so when the neighbors and the passers-by would buy those hot cheese griddles from Doña Queca, they would see the life-size Santa Muerte, and many of them would spontaneously make offerings. Offerings of what? What do you give this death sin? She's Mexican. What are Mexican death saints like? Okay, so yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen those. Tequila, right? Um, actually, Americans now consume more tequila than Mexicans, believe it or not. Um, tequila, chocolate, chocolate is native to Mesoamerica, so she has a sweet tooth for cacao or chocolate. Um, tobacco is native. In fact, we live in Virginia, the original tobacco colony, so she likes a good smoke as well. And so the offerings became so overwhelming in her little quesadilla kitchen that on two occasions her kitchen caught on fire and threatened to consume in flames the entire little humble uh, house that she has there in Tepito. So she gets together with her longtime husband and she says, Ray, uh, we got to do something about this situation. Uh, the quesadilla kitchen, in fact, our entire house is under risk of uh, another conflagration. And so they decide that they're going to set out their six-foot effigy outside on the sidewalk and have a little ceremony as Halloween became November 1st, 16 years ago, 2001. They set outside the life-size Santa Muerte imagery, say a little prayers, and it remains there outside. They built a little niche uh, on the exterior wall of their home, and she's in a glass case there, and she is now the most famous image of Santa Muerte. And this marks the literal kind of skeleton coming out of the closet, and the unintentional transformation of what prior to then had been an occult devotion to a very public devotion. Prior to that, if you were a devotee of death, and you wore a little medallion or pendant, it was definitely under your shirt. Now you go down to Mexico City, you ride the subway, and you've got all the bling coming out of the shirt, you've got the Santa Muerte hoodies, you've got, isn't Nike here in, in Portland? You've got Nike Santa Muerte tennis shoes, which we saw a few years ago. Adidas also. Adidas, people are no longer afraid to, uh, <coughs> are no longer feel like they have to hide their devotion to Santa Muerte, because now there's a critical mass and I'll end, this, end with this because I love the Q&A time. But one of the great new trends is that she has gone global. Not only has she transcended her original Mexican roots, she now has African-American and white American devotees. I am on five different Facebook groups of mostly white American devotees, probably a couple here in Portland, um, who don't speak Spanish, if they've been to Mexico, it was only doing the Cancun vacation thing, and didn't grow up Catholic. Yet there they are as devotees of Santa Muerte. 
Most of them seem to be LGBTQ, and most of them seem to be coming from a pagan background as well. So, in the space of 15 years, not only has she attracted millions of devotees, she has gone global and attracted, used her side to cut through borders, to cut through divisions of race, class, sexual orientation. There are now devotees all throughout Europe. We went to Japan and the Philippines for a research junket three years ago. There are devotees in Manila. There are devotees in Tokyo. Uh, I just saw in my, one of the Facebook groups that there is a, uh, a Kiwi, a New Zealander devotee, who is flying right now to Oaxaca for Day of the Dead because she wants to kind of mix Day of the Dead with Santa Muerte. And so that's another kind of extraordinary trend. No longer, even though the, the, the bulk of her devotees are still Mexican, in the space of a decade and a half, she has transcended her Mexican her Mexican roots and gone global. And a lot of Mexicans will tell you, well, that's natural. Even though she might look quintessentially Mexican in her iconography, death has no nationality. So it's kind of natural that she would appeal to people of all classes, all races, all sexual orientations and nationalities. Okay, I'll stop there. And I'm more than happy to field any questions you might have on Santa Maria. Why do you think, like, specifically in your Facebook groups, there was a large population of LGBT? Excellent question. Do you yourself or anyone else have any thoughts why she might have a special appeal to LGBT uh, folks? You have a, you, uh, you should do this next time, right? <laughs> uh, uh, she said because they're rejected by traditional religions. Yeah, so... So there's kind of this mantra among Mexican devotees who will say, oh, I love her because es la santa que nunca discrimina. She's a saint who never discriminates anybody. And if you are gay, lesbian, or transgender, um, there's a good chance, and particularly if you didn't grow up in a big city in Mexico, there's a good chance you might have felt discriminated at some level. And since death is the great equalizer and accepts all of us, um, that kind of non-judgmental and accepting everybody, I think, is particularly appealing to LGBT groups. In addition, um, there's the element, particularly of Mexican devotees, of protection. Uh, uh, it can be dangerous to be um, alternative sexual orientation in many countries, including Mexico. You can be beat up, you can be killed. And, and even more so if you're a sex worker who's LGBT. So Santa Muerte with her big side is also a powerful protectress, I think, also for, any, for many LGBT, particularly Mexican ones as well. Good question. Who else? Does she have any specific ties to Dia de los Muertos? That's another great question that we're talking. Historically, she has not. But that's another great trend. I'd say in the past five years, um, more and more Mexican devotees have been integrating her into their Day of the Dead commemorations, which are coming up uh, November 1st and November 2nd, um, making her part of that, much to the chagrin of the Catholic Church. Also for the past five years in Mexico, the Catholic Church has been warning parishioners not to do this. Day of the Dead is separate. Santa Muerte is satanic. 
do not be bringing her into Day of the Dead. And for the first time ever, Catholic media in our country warned against that last week. So that tells you that's happening on U.S. soil as well. One could go back and make make a historical connection in that before the Spanish conquest, it wasn't a day, it wasn't two days of the dead, it was a month of the dead. The entire month of more or less August was a month of the dead for the Aztecs, presided over by the Aztec death goddess Mictecasiwato, whom some Santa Muerte devotees say Santa Muerte is the latest reincarnation of Aztec death goddess Mictecasiwato. So they, they make that historical connection. But, but this, this trend as it plays out um, now is very recent. And it's, it's becoming so important. She doesn't have like an official feast date, but if she does in the future, I guarantee you it will be November 2nd, Day of the Dead. Good question. Who else? Um, so that, the iconography is really powerful and the images are really cool and feel like um, both like exotic and dangerous, but also intriguing. Uh, how do you figure out um, when you're trying to study the, the um, popularity of um, Santa Muerte, Muerte? How do you figure out what is just people who really like skeleton art, really like that, um, those images who are attracted to that, and, and who are the devotees? Oh yeah, I mean that's, that's pretty easy just by interviewing and talking to people, and I'm glad that you pointed out, because she's almost become a certain kind of underground pop icon as well, and so lots of people get her tattoos, uh, buy the hoodies or the Nike tennis shoes, who aren't necessarily devotees, right, that, that happens. But, I mean, it's, you know, as, as a specialist in this, it's easy enough for me to figure out who's a devotee and who's not. But I'm really glad you pointed out, because that, that is a major trend, her commercialization and her kind of pop culture status. If any of you watched the great critically acclaimed Breaking Bad series, she opens, uh, she's in the opening episode of season three, in which you have two narco-assassins from Fabiola's home state, crawling on their bellies to a Santa Muerte shrine. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, not all the imagery and, and commercialization you see that is specifically tied to devotees. Who else? Um, uh, are the tenets similar to like the Catholic belief? Like, is there like a Ten Commandments? Uh, are, are, there, are there different? Like, you know, the, what are the main tenets of Santa Muerte? Yeah, it really, since there, there's no official church of Santa Muerte, and it's mostly kind of unorganized, um, a lot of it is uh, traditional Catholic beliefs um, supplanted with Santa Muerte uh, as a really powerful miracle worker, but people would still believe an important role is, is her as being the one who... Uh, comes at the time of your death and takes you either north or south or purgatory or, or wherever your destination may be. Devotees will be divided on whether or not she makes that decision. Most Mexicans will tell you, no, it's God who makes that decision and then sends her to do it. But some will even tell you, no, she's got the power of decision and she decides when your candle gets blown out uh, as well. There's also, I mean, 
since we're talking about billions of devotees, there's diversity. With these white American devotees, it tends to be kind of wrapped up in, in pagan beliefs that are completely divorced from you know, the Mexican folk Catholicism that we're talking about. So there's a whole diversity. But for the great majority of Mexicans, she's kind of supplementary or complementary to their folk Catholicism. And they're not always exclusive with her. If they might feel like a Santa Muerte doesn't ask doesn't answer a particular petition, then they might try, for example, Saint Jude, the patient of lost causes, who's the most popular Catholic saint as well. So not all devotees are necessarily um, exclusive to her in their devotion too. Good. Who else? Do you think the fact that she's a female plays a character in her popularity since there's already kind of an underlying devotion to Mary? Excellent, yeah, excellent question. So yeah, if we look if we look at the three giants of the Mexican religious landscape today, two are female. Santa Muerte, the Virgin Guadalupe, and the other one is, again is Saint Jude. Um, yeah, I think in the video I point out that there are two other death saints, the Argentine and, and the Guatemalan, and they are male. And so yes, I think the fact that Guadalupe was already so popular, not, not only so popular, but she's been a constituent part of Mexican national identity. As I say, you know, people might be 90% Catholic, but they're 100% Guadalupanos. So, so yeah, I think that had a major influence on, on preserving her female identity where it did not in Argentina and Guatemala. In addition... The majority of the leaders in Mexico are women, some of them middle-aged women, who obviously could not have those roles of leadership in institutional Christianity, either Catholic or Protestant, right? And so I think there's, there's also kind of a space for women to exercise religious leadership that they don't necessarily have in institutional Christianity as well. And from what I've observed, maybe female devotees outnumber males by two to one. I mean, this is just from what I, I again, we don't have numbers on that, but it seems to be more popular among um, women as well. So yeah, yeah, the female aspect is really important. And she's also, I mean, she's a fierce female too. She can come after you with that scythe, but, but she also has a tender maternal side for some women who will go into tears saying, oh, I didn't have a mother, but Santa Muerte treated me as her mother, and on and on. So yeah, the female aspect, I think, is really important in the Mexican cultural context. Shall we take one more question? Um, with the sort of newfound publicity, publicity of Santa Muerte, do drug cartels still use her as sort of a symbol and an icon, or has that sort of died down? Yeah, yeah, they definitely, definitely still do. Um, so the first thing I do, or I have done for the past nine years, is see what's new on Google and Santa Muerte. And a week cannot go by where I don't see some safe house, drug safe house, that's been discovered either in the U.S. or, or actually Central America too now, and Mexico with Santa Muerte shrines and altars. Um, so, so yeah, she continues, I mean, by far she would be the most important, uh, saint, Catholic or folk saint for, for narcos, no doubt. 
that's that's an important part, but not only role that she plays. Yeah, that continues definitely. And you know, part of her appeal is that since she's not Christian, if you got some crystal meth, you'd like to ship up from Michoacan to Portland. Well, it's easier to ask a saint who's not Christian than to ask Saint Jude, who is a Catholic saint, right? Because I mean, presumably, since Saint Jude is a Catholic saint, he's not going to bless such um, dark endeavors. But Santa Morte is open to all petitions because at the end of the day, she's not Christian. Great question. Thank you very much, Dr. Chesson. And again, if, if I'd be happy to sign any books if anybody's interested, just uh, hunt me down. Right, and there all oh, this some really good-looking snacks back there. I'm going to take along with you when you go. Uh, thanks for coming out this evening. I'll see you